Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace News Roundup. This is the roundup for the week of the 12th to 18th of October. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host Jean Deville. This week has been an interesting week in the Chinese space industry. We saw a provincial or a city government in Nansha make a, an agreement with the Chinese Academy of Sciences. We saw an IPO company continue a meteoric share price rise. Uh, but first, we will talk about the week that was in the Chinese Earth Observation and Meteorology Satellite uh, Industry. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to welcome you aboard the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. Thank you. This week, we saw China launch the Galfon 13 Earth Observation Satellite, which was noteworthy in the sense that it went to geostationary orbit, which is unusual for an Earth Observation Satellite. We also saw the Feng Yun Meteorology Satellite Program have its 50th anniversary this week. And these two things were um, part of a pretty big week for Earth Observation in China. So Feng Yun is a, again, it's a 50-year-old program now. It's about, uh, there's about 10 or 15 Earth, obs uh, Earth Observation Meteorology Satellites that are part of this constellation. And it has been a, a constellation that China has used to improve its sort of weather, uh, weather data and other data that is quite um, significant for kind of the public good. And so it's a pretty big deal that it had its 50th anniversary. We saw this week Li Keqiang, who is the, sort of the second in command in China, um, made a, a statement talking about the importance of, of Feng Yun as a program. And that was, uh, it was a big kind of uh, headline on CASC's main, uh, main website. So it was a very big week uh, for Earth observation in China. Um, it's also noteworthy with the Gaofan 13 launch that it was the first launch in a few months from, uh, from the Sitang Launch Center. Uh, the launch center had been undergoing some upgrades in order to allow it to have a, a higher launch uh, capacity in the coming years. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a big week for for the Earth observation uh, industry in, in China, and, and in particular the kind of state-owned part of the Earth observation industry. A very um, a big week for the for the Guojiadui, if you will. Uh, Jean, anything to add from your side on on Gaofan or on the the Feng Yun program and its 50th anniversary? Yeah, maybe a, a quick comment on each of them. I think Feng Yun is definitely uh, an important one. There are a lot of um, there are a lot of Earth observation satellite series in China, and if there's one or two to remember, probably Feng Yun is one of them because historically, it's it's probably, if I remember correctly, the first um, Earth observation satellite series in orbit that the Chinese did. That's why it's the 50th anniversary. That brings them all the way back to the 70s, um, and. And so, yeah, it's pretty big. Before that, or during the 70s, the Chinese were working on what was called the FSW program, which is um, sending pseudo-satellites that would go into orbit, take some pictures, and then re-enter uh, back into the atmosphere. So that was how it was done back then, uh, with variable success. Um, and Feng Yun was really the first, one of the first orbital Earth observation satellite programs that that they had. And um, a, a quick comment on Galfin 13, it's a geostationary Earth observation satellite, so that did raise some eyebrows um, on social media, on Twitter. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, when, when I saw that, what I'm thinking is, you know, Galfin is a very large uh, Earth observation satellite series. You have many satellites, they're in different orbits, they have different payloads. And uh, I think for ge geostationary Earth observation, the obvious disadvantage is that you have lower resolution 
because you're much further off from the surface. But on the other hand, you know, you're continuously over the same area. And that is probably what could be required when you're, you know, maybe you're doing um, disaster relief or, you know, you're, you're, you want surveillance of typhoons in the area. And it is typically this sort of situation where I guess you would want to have continuous surveillance of what is going on in the area uh, at the cost of resolution. But, you know, different applications and different satellites. And as you said, there are quite a lot of satellites in that constellation. And I think only two of them are geo at the moment. And 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 also, I think, I mean, when you look mm. at the, I guess, the broader Earth observation infrastructure from China, you have a, you have like companies like Charming Globe and, and others that are also almost entirely focused on, on EO satellites in low Earth orbit. So to your point, um, yeah, there are certainly, it, it, it's almost, I mean, it's kind of, in a, in a way, it's similar to Beidou in the sense that once a space industry or a space infrastructure gets sufficiently large, you're going to have a lot of different types of things that you need to, to put into orbit because you just have a, it's just a sufficiently large space industry. So with enough EO satellites, it will make sense to have a couple of EO satellites in, in geostationary orbit. So, um, hmm. yeah, and it was really, it was pretty cool. They, there oh, sorry, go ahead. No, just wanted to add that there are some very impressive um, images that are available by Galfin. Galfin is really the first um, non-military ultra high resolution uh, satellite series that China has. And I think it was Galfin 2 and probably another of the Galfins uh, which have um, this uh, sub, I think it's sub meter level resolution. That is that is madness. They took pictures, I think it was of, of the Beijing airport uh, recently, uh, Edashing and of uh, Tiananmen Square. And it's, it's really, yeah, it's breathtaking. I'll, I'll put them up in the YouTube video. Nice. Looking forward to seeing those. And uh, nothing else from my side on EO. So why don't you tell us about Nansha and what's going on down in uh, in Guangzhou? Absolutely. So this, so so my my second piece of news here is about launch. Um, so basically, on September the 29th, twenty twenty, there was uh, the what is called the Jonka Aerospace Technology Industry Base. Um, uh, opening ceremony. Uh, this took place in Nansha City, which is uh, not sorry, sorry, Nansha District, which is the most southern district of Guangzhou. Guangzhou itself being one of the economic powerhouses of China, situated uh, in the southern province of Guangdong. So back to this opening ceremony. What this was basically was the the official kickoff of the aerospace segment of a much larger project called Nansha Science City. Now a little background on that. Back in 2019, the Guangzhou municipality and the Chinese Academy of Sciences, the CAS, met up and agreed, they signed an agreement to set up a technology cluster in the southern uh, district of uh, Guangzhou and which would be called Nansha Science City. And um, what this is, is a technology cluster that would focus on um, what they call strategic emerging uh, industries for China. So obviously what you have in there is, among other things, you have semiconductors, you have aviation, and more of interest uh, to us, we have the space industry. And um, so the CAS, the China Academy of Sciences, which is one of, one of the most prestigious research institutions in China, they go from, they, they, I mean, they explore really a great variety of technologies. They have labs all over the country and they go from fundamental research all the way to up to the, to the industrialization of their technologies through spin-offs. So these guys, they announced that they would have at least two of their entities establish themselves in this Nansha Science City, um, and among which, so two of them uh, that are relevant to space are the Space Flight Technology Center of their Institute of Mechanics, which is a very old institution. It goes way back to the 1950s, the early history of Chinese space. And so these guys are more, more focused on research. 
And the second entity that they would have in Nansha would be uh, what is called the Beijing Zhongke Aerospace Exploration Company. So these guys, they're also sometimes known as CAS Space on their social media. These guys are, are a commercial company. So they're working on commercial rockets and um, and their chairman during this um, opening ceremony three weeks ago, Yang Yichang, he announced that they were both working on solid rockets, but also on liquid propulsion, presumably um, Carolox rockets. And another very cool thing that they showed during this um, this opening ceremony three weeks ago was this illustration that I'll put up on YouTube where you see the entire rocket family of what they're trying to develop. And what you see is presumably on the left, on the solid rockets, uh, expendable, I would guess, and on the right, presumably the reusable liquid propulsion launch vehicles. And and if you ask me, by the way, I think number six and seven look very much like um, Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy. So I guess they got a little inspiration from their friends across the Pacific. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see the formation of, of a new space cluster in, in Guangzhou. I mean, Blaine, we've both lived in Guangdong for for some years, and it's not a, a province that's very famous for its space industry, if any. Indeed, it's not, but it is certainly, it's a big province, and it's kind of strange that there is not very much of a space industry. I mean, if you look at Guangdong in, in general, there's about 100 million people living there, so it is larger than, uh, I suppose, any European country by population, apart from, well, Russia, depending on whether it would be considered a European country, but, but digressing. Um, it's a very big province, and it, it has historically been, um, well, okay, so I think that the reason that there has not been much of a space industry is that it has been a, a primarily commercially driven province. So Guangdong is sort of the, if China is the sort of um, the, the factory of the world, Guangdong is kind of the factory of China, and historically this has been the case. So you've had a lot of companies that have exported relatively uh, well, they've exported things that, that China has become famous for exporting, which is to say increasingly high quality and increasingly sophisticated, but still relatively not cutting edge things and things that are relatively cheaper. And so Guangdong has, has had this, this, this has been their sort of the, the, the economy over the last you know, 30 years. And in the last 10 years, there's been an increasing number of tech companies uh, that have come up from Guangdong. So you have Tencent, you have BYD, you have DJI, and a lot of other companies that, that are headquartered there. Um, but still, I think because space has remained quite sensitive and quite strategic, and again, because Guangdong has been quite a kind of commercially focused economy, um, there has not been much of a space industry in Guangdong. And so, yeah, to your point, John, it's interesting to see now that you have, um, I mean, it seems like to me the the government, whether it's the central government, the provincial government, or whatever level of government you'd be talking about here, um, has wanted to kind of capitalize on the, the greater Bay Area, certainly. So Nansha being, uh, they, I was reading in, in one of the articles that I read about this space city, they, they referred to Nansha as being in like the heart of the greater Bay Area. So it's kind of geographically very close to the center. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a lot of, of existing industries and, and technological know-how and a well-educated population. It's just not really geared towards space historically in any way. So I do think probably some at some level of government somebody said you know we really should try to to get more space activities going on in, in Guangdong and, and how do we do this and I think this is one of the benefits of the the Chinese system in certain situations which is to say the government can basically they have so much you know it's such a large entity the Chinese government that they can sort of will things into existence so in the case of the Chinese Academy of Sciences the CAS 
they have uh, tens of thousands of PhD researchers. And if the government wants to open up a PhD research center in, in some really remote area and move a mm. thousand people there, they're going to move a thousand PhD researchers there. And um, it, it creates a, a community of researchers. And so it, it's, you know, I've never been to Nansha as far as I know. I've probably taken trains through Nansha. I don't think there's very much going on at the moment in, in Nansha as it relates to space, but uh, you could imagine in the future um, with this this science and uh, space city that, that there could be, uh, there's a lot of potential. Yeah, it's interesting. So, yeah. And um, Nansha is, is an interesting place because 10 years ago, there was not much in Nansha. And today, um, the, Guangdong, uh, the Guangzhou uh, government municipality has invested really a lot into this um into this area today, you have, uh, and you mentioned it a little bit, you have the high-speed rail station of Guangzhou that is there. Uh, you also have the deep sea port of Guangzhou that is in that area. So you have a lot of facilities that connect it to so many areas, either in China or around the world for trade. And so it has this sort of advantage in the Greater Bay Area. And um, maybe also last comment um, before we wrap this up on on uh, the fact that Guangzhou initially didn't have a lot of space industry. I think it's also linked to the fact that it is. It is, if you put yourself back into a Cold War context, it is an area that is vulnerable. I mean, it is a coastal area. Mm. And um, in that regard, since back then in the 60s and the 70s, uh, the space industry was linked a lot to military endeavors. Well, a, a lot of the space facilities were oriented uh, inland. And that is why you have uh, you know, a, a launch center like Xichang in the middle of Sichuan so far from everything because it is um, naturally protected by being really inland as opposed to Guangzhou being just next to the sea and, uh, you know, vulnerable to potentially uh, enemy navies and, you know, other things. So, so yeah, really interesting development in Nansha. Um, and I think we can also do a quick parallel with things we discussed in past episodes, the fact that, um, you know, provincial governments are supportive are pro progressively growing really supportive of new space companies. We also have Liangjiang uh, area, which is similar to uh, Nansha, but regarding Chongqing, we also probably mentioned in past episodes, uh, Huzhou, Nantong, all these areas, all these local governments that are really helping and stimulating uh, the effort in, in space. So that is, that is interesting to see in China, an interesting mechanism. And I guess as well with, with Guangzhou and with Guangdong more generally, you have a lot of really big VCs in this part of China. I mean, I think the VCs in China are predominantly concentrated in Beijing and Shanghai and then sort of the Guangzhou, Shenzhen, uh, and I guess well, Hong Kong, obviously, as well. Um, and I think that some of the local VCs in Guangdong, the biggest example being uh, Country Garden with their investment in land space, some of these local VCs have, have really gone into space. Galaxy Group as well in Shenzhen, they're a big real estate property developer that also has a VC arm that invests in a lot of frontier technologies and that has included some space industry companies. And I, I just a last point on, on Guangdong, and then we'll get into our, our you know IPO watch of the week, which is always fun. I, I do kind of wonder, uh, I know in Shenzhen, they're building in Guangming, which is up in the Northwest, they have that like satellite IOT industrial park. And I think, uh, I think, so Guangming would be relatively close to Nantra. I think it's part of Shenzhen that's closest to Guangzhou. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any kind of uh, if there's a you know, cluster of, of space related industrial parks that are going on up there. It also kind of makes one wonder how many industrial parks related to space does one province need? However, that's a, another topic for another day. Um, 
So just to round out the week, we've had, uh, as we had mentioned in our first news episode uh, two weeks ago, we've had a, a Zhong, uh, Shanxi Zhongtian rocket company uh, did their IPO in China on September 25th. With the long holiday, there were some days where there was no trading going on. They've now been trading for nine days, and in each of the nine days, Zhongtian Rocket has been up the 10% limit on the Chinese exchanges. So we've now seen this week five for five, 10% uh, up per day. The company's share price has now gone up about two and a half times since IPO. And it's really um, something that we've discussed a little bit before. It's, it's an interesting example of Cask maintaining the majority of ownership of this company, which is to say 70-ish percent, let's say, and they IPO about 25%, and the value of that IP, the, the value of the company has gone from 250 million or th about 300 million US dollars to about 800 million US dollars over the course of like two weeks. And so again, if Cask owns the majority of that, it has been a hell of a week on paper for Cask in terms of their the value of that that stake in the company. So um, another indication of the extent to which I guess space is considered a hot industry for investment in China, and also I think the extent to which blue chip kind of state-owned companies are considered a very safe investment, and people you know they they like to own state-owned companies and they like to own companies that are in growth industries and so state-owned space company it checks both of those boxes so we will see next week how many days uh Zhong Tian continues to go up the 10 percent limit but uh it, nine is a lot i don't know john what do you think this week probably not oh. i'm think i'm thinking that if if some of the viewers following the past episode um bought some Zhong Tian um stocks and they're probably feeling pretty happy right now. They would be. It's. Uh, I think it's probably not the most straightforward company to invest in. But yes, for any of our viewers who are uh, yeah. who are now doing better because of the, well, you're welcome. Um, so with that being the case, that being that being said, uh, I think that's everything for the week, John. All, all good from your side as well. All good. Okay. Well, thank you very much for listening. This has been another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace News Roundup. We will see you next week. And just a brief thing for those who have made it this far in the episode, we are happy to announce we have a special guest for our next long-form episode. It is a mystery guest for now, although we will reveal that guest next week. Uh, we look forward to seeing you then. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.